let's do a sermon, hey? Huh? Should we do a sermon? Okay. We're in this series right now that we are affectionately calling Greater Than. We are looking at this moment that is at the end of Jesus's life where in one of the final moments he gathers with his team around a table and he gets nostalgic. He has this moment where he looks back on all the things that he's seen and all the things that he's done and you can tell that the people around him are welling up with good and warm memories. While they're doing so, Jesus pops the bubble by saying this, listen, I know that we went some places and we did some things but I wish you could stick around for a couple thousand more years because there are people who are going to come onto my path and into my purpose and they are going to double down on all the things that we have done. John lays out seven signs in his gospel as seven direct invitations for our stories. How we take our stories and invest our lives into the path of Jesus and we experience something that is expansive, edifying, and whole, something that I've been looking for all my life, my hunches that you have too. So we've been going through all the different signs. Tonight we are in John 6. If you have your Bibles, now would be the appropriate time to turn to John 6. It's a familiar story. Um, if you've ever been inside of a church, I'm sure you've heard it. If you've driven by a church, I'm sure you've heard of it. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat. And they set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And naturally, they were frightened. But he said to them, it's me. Don't be scared. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Let me read that last line one more time. Immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So quick uh, uh, summary of what we just took in. Seems pretty straightforward, but let me recap nonetheless. Between the dock that they came from, and the destination that they're going for. You have these boys who are in a boat, and at about the four-mile mark of this seven-mile journey, they get to the center of the lake, and the winds start to move, and a storm picks up, and things get haywire. They get scary. The air turns dark. The waters turn rough. The wind is pushing against them. And in that spot, they see Jesus when they're in the storm. And they're at the center of the lake. That checks out for me. I mean, to be clear, I obviously was not present during this text, but neither was the writer who writes it in John. But it seems to me that this is how it would have played out. Because in the vast wisdom, Sam, write this down. The vast wisdom that I've collected in 34 years of life, of faithfully attending the School of Hard Knocks that we know as life, I would say that majority of our ventures whether we are talking about a boat that is moving from port to port or we are talking about marriage going from year to year, what seems so simple and easy on the dock tends to get a little bit stormy in the center. It tends to have the wind pick up a little bit. And so what you think you understand on the dock, you suddenly have a lot more questions than you anticipated having when you're in the dark in the center 
in the storm. Case in point, I had a friend who said something funny last week. He doesn't say funny things very often, so I remember this. I actually don't think it was like original comedic material. I'm pretty sure he heard But did I go dark? Am I good? We're back. Friend said this. We were talking about um, what are the things that you regret in life? Do you have regrets in life? Are there any particular things that you regret? And he hemmed and he hawed, but then he said, you know, I really wish I would have written a book on being a parent before I became a parent. Because I, I, it would have been amazing. I could have sent your weight 885 pages of brilliance. You would have been stunned. There would have been beautiful metaphors, diagrams, hypothetical situations. I would have told you everything. But now I don't know if I could pull off a pamphlet. I might have a few pictures. Might have a few loose ideas, but the general bulk of that pamphlet at this point now would be like showing you the schedule for when Paw Patrol is on and where like the nearest liquor store is. That's the extent of how to be a good parent. Just pray for him. He was in a dark place when he was telling me this, but he wasn't wrong because it's true. What you think you have an understanding of on the dock, it's not the same thing when you're in the dark. This is why, side note, but I'm going to say it. This is, Sam, you'll agree with me. This is why it's so annoying when people who don't have kids start telling you how to raise your kids. You don't know how to row that boat down this stream. You've never been in this specific storm. Can, are you, can I get an aim, amen out of you? Okay, very good, Sam. Thanks for being there for me when I need you the most. My point is just that what you expect on the dock tends to not be what we experience in the dark. And if we don't understand this, if we don't understand that after the wedding, there's going to be some straining, after the new business venture, there will be some straining. After the baby is delivered, it's not all easy. If we don't understand this, we'll be undone by it. It'll blindside us. And we'll leave the dock, get about three or four miles deep into the dark, and then we'll start to sink. The waves will pick up. And when the winds pick up on you, will you shut down? Because a lot of people do. You, you don't need me to tell you that. I could tell you that myself, is that I've seen a lot of the weddings that I went to when I was in my 20s, a lot of divorces now that are happening in my 30s. A lot of people who set out on that sea but didn't make it through the storm and are not standing together on the other side. A lot of people sink in these storms, whether it's a breakdown or they just slowly start to burn out. I read this article this past week about um, the middle of the lake, not specifically, but follow me. It's this lady who was writing an article for Forbes, and she was talking about how burnout leads to breakdown, and she was naming all the different ways of what that looks like in our lives, but she had a definition for what burnout looks like that I thought was so good. Her name is Lisa Gary, and she says this, burnout is what happens when the demands placed on you exceed the resources available to you. Have you ever felt like the demands that were on you are greater than the resources that are in you? Like what you are called to outweighs what you are capable of. Hands in the air if you have felt that at least once today. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. The good news that I've come to bring you tonight is that John says in this story 
that when you are straining in the storm, Jesus is coming towards your boat. And when Jesus gets into your boat, right away you get out of your battle. That's what the text says. Tell me I'm wrong. Right away, immediately, you get out of your battle. John says that before Jesus put on a poncho or opened up an umbrella, the moment that his foot stepped onto the boat, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I've, I got my undergrad in biblical and theological studies, spent another five years in seminary. I did not know about this miracle inside of the miracle. Didn't know it was in there. John 6, holding this the whole time. That not only was Jesus walking on the water, but he turns the stormy boat into a speedboat right on the spot. Just like that. Of all the underrated miracles, this is one of the top ones. Right next to Jesus having 12 friends in his 30s. This is right up there next to that. <laughs> but look what the text says. If we're reading this story for what it actually is saying and we're taking it into our stories for what it actually might mean, then the text tells it pretty straightforward that no matter what storm you might be straining through, whatever darkens the clouds above you or agitates the waters beneath you, if you'll make space in your boat, God will make speed with your battle. If God gets in, you're going to get out. If you look at the text, that's what it says. And, and my hunch is that the only reason why we're not all jumping up and down and cheering and celebrating good times because what we see in the text isn't exactly what we see in our story. I, I wish it was, but that's just not how it shakes, for me at least, speaking personally. I wish that whenever there were a trial or tribulation of any kind that fell upon my life that I could reach and pop a Jesus pill and all of a sudden be transported into a sunny day. That has not been my experience. The cancer isn't always cured when Jesus is called. The kids don't just shape up because you called on the spirit to come down. The job doesn't just surface because you ask God for support. You know, if we learn anything from watching Jesus' story and how he moves from the baptismal waters in the Jordan to the brutality of the attacks in the wilderness, it becomes abundantly clear right at the, out of the gates that just because you have the approval of heaven, it doesn't exempt you from the attacks of hell. Just because Jesus says that he loves you, it doesn't mean that you don't have trouble coming for you. Between the payoff and the promise, between leaving the dock and reaching the destination, there is always inclement weather involved. And I wish I could say otherwise. I wish I could say what John seems to be saying here is that when Jesus gets you in your boat, you get out of your battle. But you know why I know that's not true? Because just this past week, um, I was doing a walk around my neighborhood, and while listening to, of all people, Kendrick Lamar in a, a suburb of Minneapolis, really Minneapolis, but it's a suburb, had to stop walking because I all of a sudden started crying, thinking about Doc Nielsen and how we lost him this week last year and the pain of his absence is still very much present not just for me for many people and so as much as I want to say when Jesus gets in our boat the battle is gone my experience is that Jesus is in my boat but the battle's still here there still is hardship there still is pain there still is frustration grief agony it's not gone I thought that if Jesus would show up, the storm would be pushed out, but that doesn't seem to be the case. 
And so for a lot of this week, you know, when I was looking at this text, I didn't, you know, ideally I don't want to lie to you. That's kind of like my one, don't lie to him tonight, Matt, says Lauren to me every night. Don't lie to him. So I'm not trying to lie to you. Um, But I didn't know what to do with this text. I didn't know what to do with that story about Jesus coming in and bam, they're on the other side. I didn't know what to do with this text until I realized that there was maybe more being done in the text. Can I show you what I mean? In this scene here, we read about Jesus coming into their boat and then all of a sudden they're on the other side. When I first read that story, I read about the boys getting in the boat, getting to the center, running into the storm, and in my head I see Jesus moving from defying the laws of buoyancy to standing on their deck and they're on the shore of the other side just like that. Could it be, however, that that's not exactly how it happened? Could it be that when they saw Jesus out in the battle, that's not when Jesus started stepping into the boat? What if Jesus didn't step towards them right when Jesus was seen by them? What if he kept on walking? What if John isn't saying that when Jesus stepped into the boat, the boat sped through the storm? But what if John is saying that Jesus stepped into the boat after the boat had gone through the storm? Like he got in right before they got to the end. Hence why immediately after jumping onto the board, they were at the shore. What if Jesus knows What every coach and healthy parent and faithful teacher understands, that if he spares us of our struggles, he will strip us of our strength. If he rescues us from our problems, he will restrict us from seeing our power. And we'll never know how to deal with adverse winds. My therapist understands this. I was in her office a few weeks back, and I was telling her about how I deal with some low-level, JV-level insomnia. Just struggle to sleep, always have, just kind of accepted that as a normative part of my life, not a big deal. How I've gone about dealing with that, though, is I thought it would be ideal for many years now to just flood my body with blue light every night and fall asleep watching Yellowstone or Succession. I just thought that's the way that I'll fall asleep. I'll distract my brain. She, for whatever reason, thought that was a crazy idea. Like, Matt, there's a better way of going about this. And so she says, this is a problem that you've accepted as your norm for way too long. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and you get some blue light glasses. And I don't want any blue light to come into your room at night. So you have your cutoff point. You walk in, screens are off. And I said, that sounds like an awful idea. I understand that you are professional. I understand that this is your thing. But... This sounds to me, if I'm going to just lay in bed, eyes closed, and wait for my body to fall asleep, like I'm just waiting for an anxiety attack. And the last time I checked, I am paying you to keep the anxiety attacks away from me. This feels counterintuitive. I don't feel comfortable with this plan. Then she wrote this sermon tonight because she asked me, Matt, I don't know if you have one of those therapists that does like the lean over, and you're like, oh boy, buckle up. It was the lean over moment. She goes, Matt, how will you ever know what you are capable of if you never get past what you are comfortable with? How will you ever know what you are capable of if you never get past what you are comfortable with? Now play that whole scene back because when I came to my therapist, I laid out for her my problem and then I told her my capacity, what I could and could not do to fix this problem. I told her where my limitations lie, but what she knew 
is that when I was speaking about my capacity, I was actually speaking about my conditioning. It wasn't my capacity. And so she asked me that question. When are you ever, how will you ever know what you are capable of if you never get past what you are comfortable with? What have you convinced yourself of that you can't do when really it's just a thing that you won't do? So what I found out about a lot of us church folk, and I'm not talking about you guys, the people who listen on podcasts, the ones who aren't here. What I found out about us is that when people tend to first come, they come and they say things like, this is the, the thing I've been looking for in my life. This is the new hope that I'm, I'm hoping this will answer question. This will bring about the change that I've been looking for. But the moment we bring about some challenge, people start leaving. And that's a problem. Because if there's no challenge, there's no change. If there's no storm, there's no strength. If there's no wind, there's no winning. You only get stronger through the stressing of your muscles. This is how the story works. And so what if the storm, whatever it may be, we all have different storms. We all have different kinds of inclement weather in our lives. We, we do not have the same thing, but we all have something. What if the storm that you are currently going through is preparing you for the road that's ahead of you? That's what happens with these boys. Jesus allows them to go through their struggles so that they can be introduced to their own strength. And by the time they get to the other side, the first thing that we see out of these 12 who are in their boat is a moment where they needed to stand strong in another storm. Jesus is talking to a group of people, a large crowd, many of whom claim to be disciples of his, and he starts saying the weirdest things. He says, you're going to need to eat my body and drink my blood. You guys good with that? And everyone's like, no, not at all. On any level, are we good with that? People start walking away. The text says that Jesus turns to the 12 and says, what about you? Are you about to bounce now too? And they stand their ground. They've been through storms. They've been through the struggle. They've gone against adversity and they did not bow out. They leaned forward and kept going strong. And so they look back at Jesus and say, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. And we want in on the words of life. Do you want in on the words of life? Are you willing to go past what you are comfortable with to actually encounter what you are capable of? What are the limiting lies in your life that are keeping you small when you were born to be big? And you were born to be beautiful and free. How do you survive your storms? One of the things that's interesting about this text is it does tell us an answer, and it's going to sound like it's, it's, it's a cheap answer to an expensive question, but there's power in it. The disciples are in the storm, and they're standing in the boat, and they do not stare at the wind. They're staring at Jesus. That lines up, in my experience, with what Hebrews 12 tells us. Hebrews 12 tells us that, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now watch how Jesus gets through the ultimate storm in his life. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did not enjoy the cross. He would not do it again, but he endured it. Why? Because he set something before him before he stepped into the storm that was coming at him. What are you setting before you? What is your bigger why that can pull you through any kind of what that might come your way? 
What is your joy connected to that will pull you forward? The writer of Hebrews, she tells us that if you're going to step into a storm and still stand on the other side, you need to set something before you. Jesus set his joy before him. Jesus did not find joy in the cross, but he kept his eyes on the outcome. What it would mean if he went further than he had previously thought to go. What would it mean if you went further than you had previously thought to go? The invitation here in this, in this sign in John's gospel is just a strong reminder from Jesus that you do not need him to strip you of your struggle and thus strip you of your strength. You have exactly what you need to get from here to there. If you would go, you would know that. If you would do it, you would know it. You are capable. You are capable. Is Darby in the house right now? Darby, you here? Darby is capable. Darby is a man. I'm going to show you something right now. Darby, I hope you combed your hair because people are going to want to take pictures with you after this service tonight. Darby is somebody who loves kids very well. Darby loves kids very well. He's in their corner. He is advocating for them. He is equipping them. He loves kids very well. But it's not just word. It's also in action. And Darby recently went further than we thought. Collectively, people could capably go watch this video. Marathons, and so attempting a triathlon is out of the question. But a Minneapolis man will do the unheard of. Darby Vokes is setting off tomorrow on a double triathlon. That's over 280 miles, a nonstop swim, bike ride, and run. As Bill Hudson shows us, it's all for a good cause. What is the human body capable of? Darby Volks is about to press the limits of body and mind. At, at some point, a marathon was considered crazy. And at some point, an Ironman was thought to be impossible. On Friday and Saturday, Volks hopes to complete not one, but two consecutive Ironmans. Swimming, biking, and running a total of 281.2 miles. When someone average or ordinary does something way out of the ordinary, it makes everyone else who might consider themselves to just be mediocre think, what, what, can, what am I capable of? His incredible goal has already raised $20,000 for Richfield Young Life. It's a faith-based youth mentoring program. He'll begin with a three-hour swim at Cedar Lakes, then bike between here and Hutchinson, back and forth, Twice. I'll bike through the night. Um, we'll be having caffeine and really overfueling um, in preparation for the run. Then all day Saturday, he'll run a double marathon around Minneapolis City Lakes. He's allowing 30 hours to complete the Project 281 Challenge, pushing the boundaries on this leap of faith. And for the kids I work with, our whole goal is to let them know that there is a purpose and a potential to their life. All they have to do is be open to believing it. Darby's hoping to prove this platform of average is anything but. In Minneapolis, Bill Hudson, WCCO, 4 News. Should we clap? I don't know. It feels right, doesn't it? My man. I don't know what your storms are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your day-to-day -day grind is bringing your way. But what I read in this story is that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, God may not lift you out, but God will pull you through. If you stay fixed and set before the storm a bigger why that can overwhelm the what's that may come, you will get through. You will be stronger and we will all be wider because of it. Amen.
Jesus, you are good. Jesus, we are grateful. God, give us the courage, Lord, not to just receive the promise from you, but to embrace the process that comes with following you. Give us the courage to keep stepping when the wind starts to push back. Give us the courage, God, to keep our eyes on you and to set before all of our stories a bigger why. To connect our joy to something beautiful and boundaryless. God, you are good, and God, we are grateful. And all God's children, we say together, amen. Thanks, Matt. I know for me, um, there's a small part of me that always wants to avoid pressure and avoid um, difficult things. Um, but um, when you're forced to um, deal with the hard parts of life, um, I know that it always is, uh, gives me, helps me to build my own resiliency, helps me to um, build my own strength when I can keep my eyes on the purpose behind what I'm doing. Um, after Jesus um, was with these 12 men and helped them build their own resiliency over time, um, he asked them to keep uh, their eyes on him one more time. On the night before he was crucified, um, he sat around a table with them and he broke, took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Um, and when you do this, remember me. And in the same time, in the same way, he took uh, the wine and he took a sip of it. And he said, this is my blood spilled for you. And when you do this in the future, think of me. Um, and so uh, every week at the table, we do the same thing to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection and that he'll be coming again. Um, we do a couple of uh, ways, or sorry, we do one way of doing communion here. All are welcome. Um, we have gluten-free elements in the front, in the center, and then gluten-full elements on the sides. Anyone is welcome to come take communion. Um, I would ask you to stand and if you're able uh, before we do so and say the Lord's Prayer. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. <laughs>